0: Welcome to the Daily Writer podcast, where we bring you tips and inspiration each day to help you build habits for writing success. For more resources, including your free Daily Writer starter kit, visit dailywriterlife.com. So this is one of those podcast conversations that's still a little bit baffling to me because I'm shocked that it actually happened. Let me explain. When I was a student in college, way back in the dark ages, and by dark ages, I mean the early 1990s, I was introduced to the music of Christian recording artist Wes King. My good friend Jeff Hogan was a guitar player and a worship leader, and we were great friends. And one day I was in his apartment on campus, and he said, you've got to listen to this guy named Wes King. He's a really incredible musician. I love his music. And the first song that Jeff played for me was Wes King's song, Life on the Vine, from his album Sticks and Stones. And from that moment, I was immediately hooked. I was a massive Wes King fan, and I have remained so literally for decades. In the 1990s and early 2000s, Wes released a number of incredible albums, including The Ultimate Underlying No Denying Motivation, the aforementioned Sticks and Stones, The Robe, Common Creed, A room full of Stories, What Matters Most, and also Invention, Which was a collaborative album with fellow guitar virtuosos Scott Dente and Phil Kagi. Now, Wes has also written songs with and collaborated with many, many other Christian artists over the years, such as Michael W. Smith, Amy Grant, Kim Hill, Gordon Kennedy, and most recently, Point of Grace on their album that just came out a few months ago when he collaborated with them on a cover of his song, I Believe. Wes is known as an insightful, lyrical, and theologically-minded writer, not to mention an amazing, world-class-level guitarist. And I couldn't begin to tell you how many hours that I have devoted over the years to figuring out how to play some of his songs and the crazy tunings that a lot of those songs are in. So you can imagine my surprise when, a few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to visit Wes in his home in Franklin, Tennessee, to meet him in person and record this interview. This conversation drifted to a range of issues, including his music career, songwriting, the creative life, theology, and a lot more. I absolutely enjoyed this conversation as much as you can possibly humanly enjoy any conversation and was really just shocked that I had the opportunity to do this. And I just want to express my thanks to Wes for allowing me to come into his home and take up a couple of hours of Uh, of a Friday morning, and, and you get to talk about so many interesting topics. Now, one quick note before I share this interview with you, we were not in the studio for this conversation. Instead, I used a small digital recorder, so this has kind of a different sound than my typical Zoom interviews, but I hope you enjoy it, and much more importantly, I hope that you check out Wes's music if you're not already familiar with it. You can also connect with him on Facebook, and there are links to Wes's music on Spotify as well as his facebook page and the show notes so make sure and check that out all right i hope you enjoy my conversation with the talented amazing and incredibly generous wes king so wes uh it's good to have you on the daily writer podcast it's kind of different number one because we're sitting literally in your kitchen yep uh number two because i've been a fan of your music for literally decades and it's just really cool to meet you in person. It's almost kind of surreal, you know. Not that I'm trying to have a fanboy moment, but no. literally when you've listened to somebody's music oh, yeah. for hundreds of hours over your life, and it's like, mm-hmm. oh, like I'm actually getting to meet themselves. So well, yeah,
1: it's, it, I, I think that music is such a, uh, it's such it's, it's such a bonding agent, right? You right. You know, because you 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 share an experience. You you know, you shared the same experience at different times with the emotion of the song and so i i get it i mean i'm i'm that way with uh with with people that i've met and music and writers same thing
0: it's funny that you mentioned music is so emotional because i literally remember i was a freshman in college this would have been 1992 fall of 1992. my good friend Jeff hogan he was married um, went to a small christian college in north st louis and i was in his apartment and he talked about this newer artist named Wes King. True story. What year was this? This was '92. Year? And so oh, yeah. he played uh, your Six and Stones album. Oh, yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. And then it was so funny because he was a real, he was kind of a rock and roller. Uh, he listened to you know, a lot of rock music and stuff. And I felt so dumb when, when he played um, what is, what's the first? Life on the Vine? Yes. Um, how did you know I was gonna say that? Because, he, he's, because he's like there's a riff in the song it's about, like yeah, a, that's it's like a that's like Led song. Zeppelin. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he that was just the coolest thing in the world to him. Yeah. And i was just like, oh, this is so amazing. So that's how I got introduced to your music.
1: That's that's awesome. Yeah, uh so yeah, for me, you know, I I my older brother and older sisters listen to uh Jackson Brown, Neil Young. Dan Fogelberg, all the good '70s stuff, all the good stuff, which is still the best music, I think. And so, you know, my my musical um, vocabulary was shaped by, you know, the stuff that was on the radio, blaring in our house or in the car. And so, you know, those, those things just come out of you, you know, when you're when you're writing something. I was I never sat down to go. I want to write something where I could do this. It just kind of happens, you know, and uh, but I think that's I think that's very I think that's a very um, effective thing to do in music is to is to do nods. You know, it's like when somebody you know you meet somebody almost uh, like sampling. Yeah, you know, like a lot of artists do. It, yeah, it was probably one of the first forms of, because Christian music especially didn't do that. Right. You know, so I was a little bit of a a rev, always have been. But, um, yeah, so yeah, that 92 would have been about the time when I was sort of, you know, it was make or break for me. Sticks and Stones uh, was critically acclaimed. The first record, Motivation, was critically acclaimed. But they didn't have any radio success. And they Mm -hmm. said, you got to, You've got to have radio success if you're going to have a career. And so that's when The Robe came out. And, uh, yeah.
0: and is that so? Your, your records, I feel like I have a million questions. Sorry. No, you're fine. I guess that's why I do a podcast. So, like The Robe and Common Creed, they, they had a real different sound to them. Yeah. You know, very, a lot more radio friendly. Mm-hmm. How does that work whenever you're trying to have a different sound for an album? is that really the producer? Yes. Did they play a really critical role in the overall kind of the sonic, what it's like sonically? And So in
1: Gary Chapman and Jerry McPherson produced the first two records. Um, and both very talented. Um, you know, and if you want to, if you look up Jerry McPherson, he's one of the most prolific mm-hmm. guitarists um, in the world. Brilliant. Brilliant uh, player, brilliant musician. You know he brought out he brought kind of a a raw rock and roll kind of vibe, which is kind of what I had with, mm-hmm. with an acoustic guitar, kind of an acoustic rock thing. But you can probably hear like a, I think the greatest thing Amy Grant ever did was um, "Leave Me On." Gosh, I love that album. And so Gary, that that was very much Gary. You know, was very involved in the uh, in in how that record turned out, the writing and the everything. Hmm. So he brought that production sense, which I think worked really well for me, but it didn't work very well for the Christian radio audience. And um, but you know, it what was good about it is, is that it kind of started it started increasing my fans and things like that. So they what they decided to do, uh, reunion, uh, at the time decided to do is they wanted me to go with, um, they just wanted, they wanted to change. And there was a, a faction that wanted me to change to something more pop, more. Okay. More here. And then there was somebody that, then there, that we just think you need to change Wes, because, you know, uh, sometimes the artists need that. And I was like, okay, that's going to be kind of awkward because I'm friends with those guys. Right. Okay. Um, so I had two choices. Um, I really loved growing up I don't know if you remember a guy named Mark Hurd mm-hmm. um, I do loved Mark um, loved his music I didn't really know Mark but I flew out to LA to meet with Mark and went to his house he goes well, this is where we'd be doing the record and it was in his house in like this little closet and I was like ooh that seems a little claustrophobic <laughs> um, and he just everybody that knew Mark loved him but I think, like a lot of creative people, he was a little hard to get to know. He just didn't, like, we didn't hit, like, just hit it off right off. Right. And so I was like, I kind of just don't know. I was like, ah, this seems, this seems like it would have been a great idea, but the actual, you know, out, you know, byproduct of this might be something that I don't, I just, it caught, you know, made me doubt the other option they wanted me to go with was Phil Nash, who had produced all of Stephen Curtis's six million hits. You know? <laughs> and um, so my wife and I talked about it. And uh, I think we were like, yeah, we, I think we were first married. And we we're like, we both felt really good about Phil. It's just, you know, a lot more kind of traditional. You know, I, I, you kind of know what you're going to get. You, with Mark, it's all over the place. He was okay. brilliant, but it's like, well, you just—it's like it, it could have been like a bluegrass record for all you know <laughs> with, with Mark. So I was like, eh, you know, this is my this is this might be my last shot. So I went with Phil, and you know, Phil has a he has just a, a great pop sensibility, and and I felt like he was able to do he was able to maintain a little bit of that rawness that I had uh, in songs like Martin Luther and I Believe. They're right, real, right. Real aggressive. But he also was able to popify, you know, the robe. Um, things like that. So.
0: And somehow you you were able, you've always been able to work in some really interesting theological stuff in your songs, which to me was really, really unusual. And that to me, as a person who... At that time in my life, I was very involved in church ministry and, mm-hmm. and those kinds of things, you know, studying the Bible and all that stuff. Um,
1: I well, thought that was really cool. Well, growing up, I went to a little um, Presbyterian church and the pastor, I mean, it's like it's so small. The pastor is your youth director, you know? Right, right. And so he, uh, Warren Gardner, he really, he made me memorize scripture. He made me read my Bible um all he 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 didn't give like little children's sermons he was like he was like loaded me down with with deep theology from a from an early age and then i when I was in middle grade school all the way through high school, I did this thing called the two seven series hmm. by navigator by Nav press and um to, just sound basic good theology and so that was. Ingrained in me at a you know at an early age. So whenever I would write something, I would I would I had this sense like, am I is this right? You know, I don't want, you know, this might rhyme, but it might not be right. It mm-hmm. might sound good, but it might not be sound. And so I I would always consult you know my whoever my pastor would be at the time. Um, and so I, I always tried to. Make sure that I had, um, you know, that kind of accountability, and then also something that happened. Um, a lot of my shows, like I said, I'm, I, I, you know, I grew up Presbyterian, and um, so I, but I, like I had this song on my first record, called "Power in the Name," mm-hmm. and um, and it almost sounds charismatic, you know, like I, oh, this guy must be charismatic or something. So I got invited to all these charismatic churches, and I am not charismatic. <laughs> and so I love Jesus, believe in the resurrection, you know, life after that, all that stuff, uh, Apostles Creed, but, you know, I just, you know, that wasn't my thing, you know, and they would get me to want me to do this and do that, and I, and I was like, ah, I don't, and so I'd try to like, oh, I forgot or something, you know, because I don't want to offend anybody. So this friend of mine, um, and, and you know, they want me to like be like a pastor and like not baptized, but all but baptized. And I'm like, mm-hmm. look, I'm just a singer. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I don't, you know, I didn't go to seminary, you know, I'm not ordained. Um I was that's what I was gonna do. I was I thought I'll just be a pastor because I, you know, wasn't good at anything else. Not, not very smart. And um, not that. Pastor are smart <laughs> but skill wise um, and so I was like yeah man it, this is so awkward and I feel bad and blah 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 and he's like you know what because you ought to read uh, Charles Spurgeon because <clears throat> it'll help you as a writer he was a great writer he was a very a very you know, sort of poetic preacher and he said it at the end of his sermons, he always kind of did a, um, a an invitation. Mm-hmm. So he said, "You should re- you should read that. You should read him. I, I, I'm telling you, it would be great for you." And I was like, "Because I was complaining about it with him. He's my roommate, <clears throat> Kevin Twit." And uh, so I go to the bookstore, and I think I ordered it from the bookstore because they didn't have it. And I got it, and I started reading this book. And I was like, "Man, this is amazing. This is mm-hmm. great stuff. It's sound, but it's..." beautiful like my my old pastor a lot of times great theologians are terrible sermonizers right you know and um <clears throat> jonathan edwards they say um who was a big spark in the in the uh, the, the great awakening in the 1700s would read his sermons by candlelight <laughs> that would not fly today. It wouldn't fly today, but man, it, it's it set it set um, America on fire.
0: It's not very TikTok friendly.
1: Not very TikTok <laughs> friendly. <clears throat> but but he was a great he was a great theologian and a great sermonizer, and um, and I was like, wow, this is great. And then I, I read this whole book, and the book is called Spurgeon's Sovereign Grace Sermons, hmm. and uh, I think it's one of the last sermons in there. Uh, where it's this? It's, it's I forget what the topic was on, but he goes, Center, you know, you say you have no faith. You're right. You have no faith. Come as you are, and he'll give you the faith that you need." Um,
0: that's sinner, what sparked your idea. That's for what the sparked record. that
1: that that whole song. So um, I had. If I don't know if you, this is interesting to your listening audience here, but um, really, the, these really serendipitous, funny things that happen. In your life, when you do this, and you're—I'm—I'm, I'm fifty-seven now. But I'd had this song that I was writing for my sister, who was in a kind of a horrible marriage. Um, and and this, this song is in F sharp minor, mm-hmm. and uh, and it's cool little part, Donald. It's and it's it's very piano-like. You know, you know how I play. It's mm-hmm. it, it's I don't just. Sometimes it's just strong, but it's like, so it's just... So if I played it for you, you'd go, it reminds me of something. Well, it was either that or the the road. And all I had, I had my sister song. Well, I know there are differences between you and me. I know there's pain we can't see. Da-da-da-da-da. Anyway, it's just she and her husband were not communicating. So I was writing a song and I had that and I, and I can't remember, I had a chorus, I had a, two verses and a chorus. And that was it. everybody loved it. Was like, that's so beautiful. That's, that's so, it was like everybody said, that's unlike anything you've done. Hmm. And, but when I decided to work with Phil, I played Phil that, and I've never talked to him about this. I don't know if he took that and like rearranged it or if that, Sparked him, or if the robe was just just something to keep up with. I, can't, you know, I've never asked him this story, but it was very similar, and everybody's like, "Gosh!" And I and the and the A and R guy was like, oh, "I really I like your your thing better than that robe music. That's Phil's music." And um, and so we decided. So that's when I wrote the 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 lyrics to the robe on there, and we still I think some people are like. Which, because which, we, you know, got to do this, we got to do this one, but we were wondering about that one.
0: How does that? Uh, I'm curious. How how does that actually work? Whenever you're putting together an album of, I, I assume usually ten to twelve songs, typically, yeah. or something like that. So you know you're going to do an album with this producer. I assume you have some kind of a release date. How does how does that process work? Like, do you just set up writing a bunch of songs around
1: a certain theme or a certain style? Or how does all that? Come I together? think it's different for everybody, but I know what I did was I was just always writing, you know, and I was always reading, and I was always writing, so I was always pursuing. Uh, like, um, I loved, um, you know, writers like C.S. Lewis and G.K. Chesterton and Frederick Beekner. Uh, yeah, I love him. You know, just guys like that that have that creative, poetic. Um, approach to everything right theology right. love um doubt hope despair <clears throat> um and so i was just always pursuing that because i love I, I still still to this day i love i love reading great great books which i can't wait to read yours
0: oh thanks and a lot um, of their books were short by the way yeah, if you think of Frederick Buechner's books oh, there's these little like short this, books
1: like this yeah. and
0: uh, I, I think there's something to that I think they're onto something
1: yeah I mean because uh, you probably know this doing what you do um, it seems like I, I mean I've I, now I, it's like now I can write a song I can write a song pretty quick now it, it might not be that great it might be it might be okay but I know how to do it now right you've got I'm, something to work with I've there's just elements of what makes a song work, and and I and I feel like um, you know, like what we were talking about earlier. Uh, there's really this this. It's good to have a script. Um, it's good to have themes and things like that. But you can really play with things now. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of times what happens in novels, with, you know, with these publishers, is they go, "No, we need." 220 pages oh totally and so and so you end up putting in these store like these side stories or things that you're like okay just get to the point you know happens
0: all the time in non-picture books I mean whenever I contract with somebody to do a book I mean we always start out with a page count yeah like always it's because you have to kind of know up front here's how much space you have to fill right the downside of that is well what if you don't really have that much to say? Right. <laughs> then as a as a writer you sort of feel like you have to concoct stuff sometimes. Or stretch it out or pat it a little bit. This is kind of the
1: dirty little secrets of ghostwriting, I guess, but we, it is what it is. Isn't that I mean, didn't um didn't books used to be released on in the papers, like in the newspapers for um or like or like they were, how how the, like the You mean like a serial? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, back in the day, and that's—it's funny how that has come back around. Yeah, because like the, uh, like the serial form of storytelling is really popular in podcasts. It's
1: hugely popular. <clears throat> well, I was telling you about the uh, the guy that I grew up with, his father, and all that. Yeah, uh, there's there's a podcast about about that very theme. It's called In the Red Clay. Wow. Yeah.
0: That's crazy.
1: Yeah, it, it's wild. I mean, it was right there where I grew up.
0: I always wonder what it is about, especially right now, like on Netflix and other things, there's so many series and podcasts devoted to like true crime and murder mysteries. I'm like, what is it about that,
1: that attracts people so much? You know, I, I've, I have a family member who loves all like the, like they really are intrigued by that. I'm not so much, but I think one of the things that fascinates me is, you know, for example, you know, um, when you, when you look at why, why is the world the way it is? Why at this time, you know, like I remember when I was first married, I'm not Catholic. I remember the Catholic church, you know, saying uh, that you can't be a good standing as a Catholic and, and be mm-hmm. on birth control. And I remember right. kind of going, right. is, why? Well, I don't understand that, you know. But as I've gotten older, it's like the thing, because they said when, when you separate, Sex with children—you're going to have a lot of problems. There's going to be a right. lot of un- unintended things, and we can see that today yeah. playing out. Yeah, it's been part of human history. <laughs> yeah, but I—I I was all—I—I—I I, I, I love history, and so to me, it's like you know, you—you—you—you you, 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 you think of something about NASCAR, and like, why do, I mean, why do people go to a ring and you know, big stadium? Watch people go round and round and right. round, and and then what does that have to do with World War One, and then what does that have to do with organized crime? Yes, because it's all connected. It's all connected, you know. And uh, it, so you know, World War One, you had shell shock. You had the the young men coming home, the fathers coming home, and the wives and the and and the uh, the mothers were like, "What do I do with this person who is?" Completely obliterated emotionally, mm-hmm. and they wouldn't work, and they didn't go to church. And so, the, so while they're away, the women all started, you know, running the church. So that yeah. has an, that has an influence on how on Christianity, on you know, and and so so the men medicate themselves, get drunk, and they they turn into you know alcoholics. So then the women push the temperance movement and the prohibition, right. and well, then that gives us. Uh, moonshine, and and the guys, and so the guys would soup their cars up so they could outrun the law with yeah. their moonshine, and that so that 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 gives us, uh, uh, you know, I, I I think that gave us the FBI. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. I, but but so it's like, I think all these things, like you know, the crime, this crime, this crime, the organized crime started happening. Because of something, maybe a good intention and maybe an unnecessary war, which, you know, it seems like we're plagued with for eternity. Yeah. These unnecessary wars. We send, our, we send our young men to fight these wars and they come back, you know, either blown apart or have their face missing. and uh, all, f- all for what? All for what, you know? Um, if, if we're fighting for something good and we're fighting evil, I'm all for it. Uh, send me. But, you know, it, it just it just seems like and this to me, this podcast like this, I mean, I listen to podcasts and, you know, when P, it's like when I was young, you know, you, you, you were told this is this is the deal. We're the good yeah. guys and they're the yeah. bad guys. And it's like, you know, oh, OK, that sounds good. And then all of a sudden, you, you start hearing a little bit. Well, did you know this? And did you know this? It's like, whoa, wait a second. And that's a horse of a different color. You know, and I, that's what I love about what, you know, I think some of the, some of the things that are getting out are just unhealthy and destructive, but there are other things that I think are, are causing people to stand up and go, wait, just a second. Wait, before I sign this, yeah, I want to know yeah. a little bit more. Whereas used to, I think we just signed off on everything. Well, because the guy on TV said. It.
0: Well, there's, there seems like, it seems like we have a lot more mistrust in any kind of institution. Yeah. Then there was even like when we were kids, you know, you have the church, the government, uh, even like the Supreme Court, which when I was a kid, that nobody that was, would ever have that, that. Right. Right. But, but there's like a loss <clears throat> of trust in any kind of institutions. Yeah. I suppose that's healthy. Yeah. Because something has to kind of rise up from the ashes of that. At some right. point, Which is how the way the civilization works. And, yeah. You know, things rise and fall. And
1: Yeah. I mean. It's like, it, it's like Rome. Yeah. You know, basically. I mean, in so many other civilizations that that we probably don't even know about. Yeah, um, yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's fat. It I think it's a very it's a we are at the tipping point in the in the world right now. Um, I think everybody senses it too. Yeah, we're we're we're
0: kind of on the verge of something. Yeah, nobody really knows quite sure what it is. Yeah but that there's something that's kind of fundamentally different
1: yeah. than it has been in our lifetimes. Yes. And I, and I, and I think it's more than just information. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, it's, it's um, yeah. And I, I have no idea what it is, but the world is changing. And you know, my, my sons, they're well, twins are 25 and George is 20. And I never thought I would be that parent that doesn't kind of understand what's going on, man. <laughs> uh, but you know, they, they have like, them telling me the the dating landscape is just mind boggling. The, the I. I don't know. I don't know. I'd probably I'd probably just become a monk or something <laughs> uh, with with the stuff that they tell me about how drastically. You know, different
0: it is. Yeah, I don't know how you would function. Yeah. I mean, being being like a Gen Xer, I'm like, okay, you know, we were sort of the last generation to grow up you could go outside and play all day or you could go ride your bike all day yeah there was no phone no internet I mean there was phone no cell phones right no no internet and I kind of missed that gosh I sound old but well
1: it's it really wasn't that long ago I know I mean when you start when you start breaking this down like yeah 1990 whatever like I didn't have like I didn't have a phone no but but look 2000 really yeah the year 2000 and then it was like a big phone it was like a big phone you got to carry on your belt yeah and yeah it's just and i think what you know it's kind of hard to know like uh, because you got the you got the the uh fossil fuel people fighting fighting the electric people you know the, and it's like okay who's who's right in all this are they both a little right are they both wrong is it all right. just because you know when you find out when you find out uh, what what we were sold and how it was sold to us. It's like, okay, well, you did that back here. Now we know that. How are we supposed to trust you now? And like what you're saying about the institutions is like, um, this guy, Antonio Gramsci, have you heard of him? No. So um, there was uh, in the, just, just before, um, right after World War I, there was something called the Frankfurt School In Germany and um, it was basically a Marxist kind of outfit and they were kind of taking over powerful places in Germany well they tended to be Jewish so Hitler came to power they ran them out Hmm. a lot of them came here um, and they went to Columbia University and basically they're very smart so they took over Columbia University and so what What Antonio Gramsci, who was, no, no, that's somebody else. But what Gramsci said is we, you know, the only way we're going to overthrow um, the American kind of Christian patriarchal kind of thing is if we do the slow march through the institutions. Mm. We, we need to take over education. We need to take over entertainment. We need to take over government. And we need to take, we need to take over their religion. And they've done it. Mm. And, uh, You know, it's like, you know, some of the denominations I've been involved with, they're, they're going, they're, they're they're going away from a biblical based things like we we need to change this because this does, what? You know, the last I checked, Christianity was supposed to change me. Right, Right. Right. I'm not supposed to change Christianity to make it fit me. But that's what a lot of these churches are doing. And... You know, so the so the institutions have been taken over, and you're like, okay, there's either going to be like a a reformation, a revolution, or a combination. Because I think there, you know, there are people that are just kind of in, in the dark on it. There are people that are waking up to it, and of those people, there are the, you know, the angry, and then there there's the the people that are going, how do we how do we reform this? The angry is the revolution. That's when you right. that's when right. you see. Buildings burn, you know. You see violence. So what, you know what I hope happens is a reformation. But that's a that's a loaded word to some people. You know, because so much so so much of what people want to do is 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 revolution. like destroy, tear these statues down. You know, that's revolution. That's revolt. You know, and you know, reformation is hey, why don't we keep this one up and remember what was good about it and remember what was bad about it and put this one right next to it, you know, that's, that symbolizes, you know, whatever it is that, you know, we want to remember now. And sometimes we throw the baby out with the bathwater,
0: so to speak, you know, like we sometimes in our, in our rush to throw out older traditions and bring in change, we, we don't stop and think about, well, what's actually good about what we're doing. Right. Maybe we can keep that and, but, but I guess that's just human nature. Well, it is, and, but, it, but
1: it's it's Reformation versus, um, rev, re, revolution. GK, I never thought about that. That's G, really good. Yeah, G.K. Chesterton says, if you ever come upon a fence before you tear it down, you might want to figure out why it was put up to begin with. <laughs> That's really good. I mean, you, maybe you do want to tear That's it really down, good. but but you might want to find out why you tore why it was there to the begin with.
0: We'll get back to the conversation with West King here in just a minute, but I want to take a short break to give a shout out to today's sponsor, Vellum Book Formatting Software. Let me tell you a super quick story. So earlier this week, actually not this week because this episode comes out a couple weeks later than what I'm actually recording it, but a couple weeks ago I was talking with a newish writer. This is a gentleman who's into self-publishing. He's written a book or two, but he's was looking for some better solutions for self-publishing. And I mentioned my experience with Vellum Book Formatting Software, and he was really excited when I was telling him about it because I was sharing how simple and easy it was to format your books with Vellum and how beautiful those books look. In fact, they're so good that they are indistinguishable from books that a traditional publisher would put out. Now, the cool thing was we were on a Zoom call, and so I did a screen share of a book that I had recently formatted, one of my books in Vellum, and it was so much fun just to see to see this, uh, this new friend of mine just ooh and ah over how fun and easy and cool it was to use Vellum. And that's the experience that pretty much everybody has whenever they use Vellum. They ooh and eye over it because it's kind of like getting into, you know, if you've ever like had a friend or family member who has a really nice car and you sit in and you get to take it for a drive and it's like, oh my gosh, I never knew that riding in a car could be so much fun or that you could have such a cool experience in, in a car that made the journey really, really enjoyable. And I think that's what Vellum does for indie authors. It makes the journey of publishing your book. Really enjoyable and fun, and most importantly, fast because we're busy. We have a lot going on, and you don't want to spend hours and hours and hours of your life trying to format a book on Microsoft Word or some other jankety solution that's not going to work for you and that's not going to look good and it's going to put off your readers. So stop messing around with these solutions that don't work and grab Vellum. Now, Vellum is Mac only. As I've mentioned before on this podcast, I'm a Mac guy. So if you're not a Mac user, you probably will want to look for some other solutions or if you really want to use Vellum, you could just buy a used Mac and use Vellum for that. I'm not necessarily saying to do that, but you know, I've heard of people doing that. And my goodness, I think Vellum is important enough to my workflow that if I were a hardcore PC user, I'd probably buy a used Mac just to have Vellum on it. It's that good and it's that important and it's that much fun. So make sure and give Vellum a try. You can do that by going to tryvellum.com slash daily that's trivellum.com slash daily there will be a link in the show notes make sure and check it out it's going to make your life a lot easier I promise All right, back to the conversation with Wes King well I want to respect your time I do have a couple more questions yeah hit me Um, just something that I'm really really curious about uh, and how it works as a recording artist so you've recorded with a lot of people Mm -hmm. you've written with a lot of people how does it work let's say if you and Michael Levy Smith get together and you write a song or two what actually happens with that song? When, when you sit down to write, do you, based on what you've created, do you have sort of a pathway for, for that song to go on? This record or that record or maybe so-and-so would be interested in recording this or let's just hang on to it and let's just see what happens to it. How does that process typically work?
1: Well, with Michael, Michael and I, uh, we haven't written anything in a while, but we usually write a good, a good amount. Um, usually Michael's, Michael's, he's like me, he's just always writing. It's just, there's always something he's working on. And then he'll, I think what he'll do sometimes is he'll throw it, throw the music to me, throw it to Cindy, you know, and, and he'll pick, you know, his favorite. Sometimes he has something specifically he wants me to write. He's like, Wes, I just know you're supposed to write this. Interesting. And so I will, I'll, I'll send, I'll, write something and he'll go I love it or yeah it's not quite there um or or he'll like it and forget about it <laughs> we have got like we probably there's gonna be a we, probably, we probably have a whole project together of songs that we've both forgotten about um so you know because there was this one there was this one that I wrote about that he, he, he gave me this music and I think it was one that when the space shuttle crashed, you know, crashed. What year was that? Was it 20, uh,
0: for some reason I'm thinking 2011. I don't know Maybe, if that's yeah, so that sounds about
1: right. But You're talking um, about the Columbia? Yeah. Okay. Um, but the, the, the lyric I remember, we totally forgot about it because we were talking about something because he's doing something for, Na- I think he's doing something for NASA. Something. And, He's like, yeah. He's like, you remember that song that we wrote about the space shuttle? He's like, no, what? <laughs> it was like, above the sky, we heard it see an angel with a broken wing fly to the moon. Da da da. You left too soon. It's beautiful. I I'm not doing the 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 melody justice, but it sounds beautiful. It was a beautiful song, and he's like, oh, and he goes on. He's he's like me. He's, bad I think a bad memory about things but uh but like uh a Gordon Kennedy and I uh wrote a song and we were sitting out there on my porch and I was I was like oh, I got this little ditty you know so I started playing he's like yeah that's cool because then what if, what if you go here? go here and then so we we came up with the music and then a week later he comes over and uh he says, well, what's this gonna be about? I, said, I I don't know. So we start talking talking, and um, he goes, well, he goes, I have this, I have this thing, like because, you know, because I feel like um, how did he say it? He said something like um, you know, like I feel like I'm I, I aim and I miss the mark. And or I said that, you know, I said, I feel like I just sometimes I aim and I miss the mark a lot. And he goes, you know, Wes, He goes, "I think we're just supposed to shoot the arrow, and then God paints the bullseye wherever the arrow lands." I was like, there "That's we really go. good." So the song's called "The Arrow," and um, and then so then we're like, "All right, what's the course about?" I'm like, "I don't know." And then we get off on a conversation. I go, "I I don't know. I, I live in my head a lot." He goes, "There there it is. I live inside my head." <laughs> um, but your heart is where I where. My I live inside my. head your heart is where but my heart is where you live instead that's something like that but so anyway we're hopefully I got the files I'm gonna put the guitar my guitar part down on that so sometimes it's a process
0: of you're creating something that doesn't have a home yet right but sometimes if you're working on a specific
1: project you're writing
0: toward that project yes whatever that is yes
1: I mean it it, it, I think some people sit down and they go I want to write a uh I want to write a uh, a record and here's the theme. And so you, you map it out like that. I never did that. I kind of, I think I'd kind of like to do that because I think that would be cool. Michael Carter yeah. does that all the time. Uh, but for me, it was just, uh, you know, I started here and I, I wound up here. Along here, I wrote this because this happened, this happened, and this happened. And, you know, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot, oh, I was going to, the thing I was going to tell you about this this kind of goes in what you're saying um remember how I told you we we were going to go with that my sister's song of the radio mm-hmm. well i had a demo that i made it at my house i guess on a tape recorder or something of that song and years and years and years and years later i'm at a house concert and oh gosh what is wrong with me i can't think of this guy's name He's a great he does a lot of funny songs uh, uh, like a Christian comedian type of a thing. No, he, he's he's a great writer. His wife's a great singer, and they sing do things together. They they tour with Andrew Peterson a lot. uh the the the, the Christmas show? What is his name? I can't. I mean, I've had him over my house. This is chemo brain. This is what happens. To <laughs> me. But anyway, he's a brilliant writer. Um, if I think of it all. Text his name, but um, we're at a house concert, you know, right down the road here. These friends of ours, with Jill and Andy Gillahorn. Yes, oh, okay. okay. Andy Gillahorn, um, and I don't know Andy, right? Um, but I'm I'm there, and he's like West King's here. So, West, would you do a song? Like, sure, okay, you know. So I do a song, and then they take a break. And he goes, hey man, thanks for being here and blah, blah, blah. And everybody's getting drinks and snacks and stuff. And he gets his guitar and he goes, hey man, you know this song right here? And he starts playing that song that I didn't cut on the road record. And I'm going, and I am, I'm going, this is, I never, I didn't even finish the song, so I never would have played it live. How do you, and I was like, and he's doing, he's doing like that intricate part. And I was like, how do you know? And he starts singing it. I said, "How do you know this song?" It was like, "Are you some kind of a, you know, you know, something mystical, something mystical going on here?" And he goes, "He goes, I was the, I worked at Reunion Records. I was an intern, and they made me catalog all their artists' writers' songs." He said, "I always loved that song," (laughs) and he played it for me. But that you don't know what happens to songs. Sometimes what happens, sometimes they just die. They just Unfinished songs sitting somewhere in some you know, warehouse <laughs> oh my gosh, that nobody hilarious. knows about. But Andy pulled that song up. It's pretty wild.
0: So what, what is the deal with, I feel like Jerry Seinfeld, here. like, what's the deal with? <laughs> but you hear all the time of artists who have like all these backlog of songs. Yeah. You know, like for example, Prince, mm-hmm. who reportedly has, you know, all this massive trove of unreleased, unreleased music. What, what is the gap between, let's say, artists who have all these songs, maybe even recordings of their songs, but then they're not released? Is it just because there's so much time and expense and all these assets involved in actually producing an album, releasing it, and kind of the monetization aspect you of mean, it
1: sometimes? You mean like, so for someone like Prince, why don't they, why isn't somebody, well, it's probably because or, or any it's caught up, for that matter. Uh, well, for him, it, I, I would think that it's caught up in some kind of Estate, thing. maybe some yeah some legal wrangling or There's something. Some, yeah, somebody owns it. Somebody's they're they're fighting over it. That's and they'll be fighting over it for a while. Yeah, and then and then and it might not ever come out. Um, but like with me, <clears throat> um, I think any songs that I've written, uh, you know, while I was under this contract or that contract, um, it's just it, they they have ownership in it, and I could probably it but I would have to pay them residuals and things
0: like really that. so that's the way that works whenever you're under
1: contract with a, with a record label well, anything it, that you write no, amongst them no if I if I have a, I have a writer's contract it, uh, oh okay yeah okay. so and, it, and, and they, they're different I mean it might be you know we own this and then it all goes back to you I think all my records like all the masters of my records I could if I could get them all back they're mine now because after seven years that all Interesting. goes back to me I think that's, that's fascinating I think that's right I, Somebody told me that, and I was like, "Really? If that's the case, man, I want to go get those things." Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just it, it's it, you know, and the and the the person who changed a lot of that was Elvis, you know. Yeah. And it, and and it was Charles Dickens, right? For the for the for the yeah. writers, he fought for. Because, I mean, in America, they were printing his books, and by the millions, and he was getting nothing for it. Which You just go, that's what? that's insane. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's intellectual. That, that's where the concept of intellectual property. I'm pretty sure that it. Wow. I, maybe I'm asking you something that you, you don't know, but I, I think that the whole intellectual property concept came from Charles Dickens. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Because, that's fascinating. Yeah, because he was, he, he, was, he was so taken advantage of here. I think he, he got paid in England, but even then it was like... He That's a very American thing to do is just yeah. to take advantage of somebody yeah, and yeah. We're just going to print your books and heck yeah. with copyright. Yeah, you, you're way over there. You'll never know. He'll never find out.
0: <laughs> That's crazy. Um, I do have one more question here. Yeah. Um, so if people would like to get in touch with you, um, like where should they go to find out more about your music or... Uh, things that you're up to any news items anything like that I always kind of ask podcast okay. guests that
1: yeah well um, I mean right now it's, it's going to be Facebook I'm, I really want to work on a website for my sons because they're uh, starting to release things and, um, and we're trying to figure out the name you know they're, the, the King Brothers is a little weak um, I, I really like the name The Once and Future Kings but nobody likes it <laughs> um, but me I like it. I think it's cool. <laughs> you're, you're a literary guy. But uh, so I, I'd say, you know, and forgive me if I don't, if you message me, I, I'm really not that comfortable with messages because I have, you know, this is going to sound funny. I mean, I'm, I'm not like, you know, Brad Pitt or something, but I I don't feel comfortable with women. I'm yeah. married. Yeah. Uh, and so... Weird stuff happens on the internet. I, yeah. I'm like, listen, we can't have... A conversation here. I'm married. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, so. I totally get it. And, and then I also have like other weird things and I'm, I just. I, Your I, name has been out there for a long time. It's been so. out there for a long time. And so I do have like a, so sometimes I think we, when I was with this other agent, we have a thing that thank you for contacting us. But you know, like what, what you can do if, if you want to get us, you know, to come and play near you or something or, uh whatever if you go if you if you'll write you know under a comment under one of my things or something say hey i'd like to i'm doing a concert this month because somebody did that Uh, and then i went i did go to message that's cool but i've got to be brought to message over here so that so that i don't because i don't i don't want to walk into some kind of like weird yeah trap it's just it's just a different world. I hate to, I hate that I'm not... It was nice back in the day when other people handled that. <laughs> you know, like, like my schedule today when you show up yeah. and I'm in my PJs. <laughs> yeah, the, the world is kind of different <laughs> yeah. these days. And the, yeah. I wonder sometimes, you know,
0: sometimes if it's not too much access when you really have a public image and like, it, it's kind of a blessing in some ways, but it's also kind of a curse because if anybody can contact you at any time, that's not really helpful. I...
1: I I like being able to, like, on the page, but I don't like the messenger. I don't. Uh, that's a yeah. that's too intimate to me. A
0: lot of people hate messenger.
1: Yeah, and because I, and I like, get why. It's like my phone number, you yeah. know, or my personal address. It's like, so um, I I think it's. I mean, I I really get a lot of encouragement um, on the page when people say things. Yeah, and and you're really active on Facebook, which I love. Well, I, I used to be a lot more, but. I, I did start getting some weird things. And so it kind of spooked me a little bit. Yeah. But, um, but I, I'll, yeah, I'm going to get back more and I'll get my boys a a, a website because they're, they're really writing some good stuff. We did a show though and I was so much fun. It's just so fun being with them, you know, and they're, they all have little aspects of, you know, my personality and things like that. My music personality and, like that, so it was really fun. The one song that I
0: heard, um one of your songs is it? Was it the last kiss? Song yeah, yeah. They mentioned I listened to that, and I was like, oh my gosh, there's such a similarity in the vocal tone and singing. And I'm well, like, my wife, wow, my, my wife so always, good.
1: my wife always says, "You're you're on there too much." I'm like, babe, I'm not even on there. <laughs> it's them. Yeah, um It was really good. Yeah. Well, we uh George, that's my youngest. We did that over COVID in a, in a condominium spare bedroom condominium in uh down in Vero Beach Florida that's cool and uh, that's he's just he's a little he's a little pop guy you know he kind of he, he's country and and pop but he grew up loving um crowded house hmm. but uh and then then, then then man the the other two you know Harrison's kind of Harrison's kind of like my he's like my rock rock and roll side Mitch is like my ballad side. (laughs) (laughs) That has to be very
0: satisfying as a parent. Yeah. You know, to see your kids kind of carry on some things that
1: were important to you and do them in their own way, of course, and be their own person. Well, I didn't want them to do it because, you know, it's with all the rewards, it's a hard life. You know, I mean, being gone all the time and travel and buses and hotel rooms and things like that, but... You know, they got bit by the bug. So I'm like, all right, we'll just give it a shot, you know? Wow. I mean, and I think today they're going to have to do a lot of work that I, are different kind of work than I did. They're going to have to know a lot of things that I didn't know and do a lot of things that I didn't do. But I think it's real, real doable to have a nice little following. Totally. You know. Totally. And they're good. They're good enough that that's not going to be a problem. The problem is going to be getting that getting this stuff recorded, getting it out there, you know, and then getting yourself out there. And it's just, that's, that's always the hard thing though, is getting yourself
0: out there. So the way, and I didn't say this on the recording, but the the reason that I'm actually here outside of Nashville is because I was here for some uh, business meetings this week, a mastermind group and some other stuff. And the hotel where I stayed, they had a, they just built a parking garage. And on Monday night, I was driving in the parking garage. There was hardly anybody there. And then I came across this couple who was filming stuff for TikTok and Instagram. So you're talking about kind of building your own following yeah, and everything. Yeah. And I felt so bad because I totally photobombed. And they were like <laughs> recording some worship song or something. And I was like, I got out of my truck. I was like, man, you guys, I'm so sorry. I just, I didn't know you were here. And it's funny because you kind of have to take the bull by the horns and be your own PR yeah. agent. And, and I was like, that's... It sounded really great, actually. Yeah. You're recording in a parking garage where the acoustics are yeah. incredible. So, so I'm sure your boys are, are contending with a lot of that kind of uh, stuff. Yeah,
1: yeah, and and they're you know, they're like me. They're they're they have really good personalities, but they're not like push. They don't push themselves. Right. right. So I, I I think it's I like that aspect of of what you're talking about. Just go out there and do it yourself, yeah. and just put it on your site. You know, and yeah.
0: So yeah. It's fun, Wes. This has it's been fun. a total pleasure. I appreciate your well, hospitality and you. letting me stop by your house. I you. never expected I'd be able to just kind of drop by and do a podcast interview,
1: but it's been a blast. Thank you so much. Yeah, I, I, appreciate, I
0: appreciate you coming,
1: and uh, it's been—I've enjoyed talking to you too. I can't wait to read your books. Well, thanks. Uh, Those will keep you busy for a while I'll, uh, if I'll, you get uh, bored. <laughs> I'll, uh, yeah, I'll keep in touch with you about you know any ideas I might have for what I'm going to write. So, Wonderful. Well, thank you again. All right, thank you.
0: Hey, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Wes. As I mentioned in the intro to this episode, that was a wide-ranging conversation. We talked about a lot of things, but I just came away from that um, from that conversation and that podcast interview with a greater sense of awe for who Wes is—not just as a musician, but also as a human being. You know, one of the one of the cool things that I have discovered over the last few years in this journey of building a ghostwriting business and doing tons and tons of podcast interviews and and many times getting to connect with some of my, my creative and musical heroes and, and literary heroes, one of the things that I have discovered is that the vast majority of the time, people who are highly successful are really, really nice and they're really, really generous and they're super, super easygoing and down to earth. Now, that's not true 100% of the time, but it's true a super high percentage of the time. And of course, as you've heard in this conversation, that is absolutely true when it comes to Wes King. As you can tell, he's so down to earth and so generous and so thoughtful, and it was really, really a major pleasure getting to chat with him. So Wes, thank you for making time and uh, for this conversation and having me, more importantly, having me in your house. I mean, that's, that's pretty cool. I really considered it an honor to visit with you that day and um, look forward to future conversations. And for everybody else, I hope that, again, that you enjoyed this conversation and that you will go check out Wes's music if you're not familiar with it and also connecting with him on his Facebook page. So there are links to that in the show notes. Make sure to check it out. And as always, thanks for listening and I'll catch you next time.